0: friends. Welcome on The Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I am your host, Maria Czernat, and with me, as usual, Bojan Stanislavski, the co-host. Thank you for being here with us. Hello. Thanks. Now, what brings us together at this live edition of our show are extraordinary events taking place in Poland. And by extraordinary, I mean Uh, very troubling events. A young woman went to the doctors complaining that she doesn't feel good, she was pregnant. And um, it was pretty clear that her baby, unfortunately, and her fetus had no way of surviving yet. Since last year, the Polish Supreme Court voted in a law saying That and put enshrined in Polish Constitution, that it is against the law to terminate any pregnancy, even if the fetus has no chance of surviving. From what I gather, the doctors just stood there and waited for the fetus to die. But guess what? It was not a big surprise to see that, of course, the mother also died. And that sparked outrage because it is outrageous when you know you have scientific proof that the fetus has no chance of survival. Why don't you start the abortion procedure so that you can at least save the mother? Why not? Because right now, the Polish Catholic fundamentalist implemented a law that is even more sadistic than what we had in Romania and we had um, a pretty uh, sadistic law put in place in 1966. So, well, tell me more about the case. How did you find out? And uh, what exactly happened? Um, And um, what was the reaction of the public?
1: Right. So before I uh, dive straight into the details of the case, I just want to make a few minor corrections. It was not the Supreme Court, but the Constitutional Court, the Constitutional, oh, Tribunal Constitutional Tribunal that Court. enacted this, uh, enacted this, this or, or tightened the, the abortion ban. The abortion ban has been in place in Poland since 1993. So it has been in place. It, it, there were only three exceptions from the general ban. And one of the exceptions that was removed uh, last year by the Constitutional Tribunal was the so called embryopathological premise, which means exactly what you explained that uh, when there are some malformations uh, of the uh, fetus, or when it is obvious that the fetus is not going to survive, or uh, you know, has no chance of survival. In, in, in basically, uh, or, or you know, medically, it's difficult to say what form of life it is. In many cases, you know, in, in these malformations, so uh, that was also a premise allowing legal abortion in Poland. The other two, uh, which remain in place, is when the uh, life and health of the mother is endangered, and uh, when you know it, the uh, the conception is a result of uh, of rape. Uh, so uh, perhaps the other small correction here is that uh, the, the woman did not just feel bad; she knew that her fetal fluids were released, and, mm-hmm. that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and before before that had happened, she also was aware of the fact that the fetus uh, is uh, fatally malformed, so it has no chance of survival. And after those fetal fluids uh, were were lost, uh, she was admitted to a hospital in a small town of Pszczyna, which is in southern Poland. Uh, perhaps it makes sense to add that southern Poland and southeastern Poland, uh, southern and eastern, the southern and the eastern parts of Poland are most Catholic fundamentalist parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean where where Catholic fundamentalism prevails. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and she was admitted to a hospital, and she was informed. Uh, by the doctors by the team that was uh, receiving her that they will not act uh, uh they will not do anything for as long as the pregnancy is alive this is the phrase that they used uh, the pregnant like you know pregnancy <laughs> is alive is just a philosophical nonsense but you know let's just stick with it right this is what they said and uh they they were uh, while she was there, dying—I mean, not aware of the fact that she she was going to die too, together with the fetus—while while the process was, you know, underway, uh, she was exchanging messages with her mother, where she explicitly—and those messages were, were uh, now brought to the public, some of them, by by journalists—and. Uh, uh, It explicitly explains, I mean, the exchange of messages between her and her mother, that the doctors informed her and insisted that they will not do anything until the heart beating of the fetus ceases, okay? And they were actually even informing her that she might feel bad and that she might get infected uh, with uh, she might get this septic sepsis which is generally speaking well, sepsis is not a disease what what sepsis is in fact is a wholesale is a kind of wholesale bacterial infection of the entire organism that's what sepsis is and, and like there's very little chance of surviving that but when it's you know observed and and when it's treated at a very early stage and she was under medical observation uh, well, Theoretically speaking, it was a chance of survival. But grasp, grasp the, you know, the...
0: The sadism.
1: Uh, the sadism of this. Exactly. Grasp it. Like, you know, they knew that this woman could develop a lethal condition. And even knowing that, they still decided that they're going to wait until the fetus that was going to die anyway dies. And it all happens, you know, it, it's just... Torture—it's—it's it's precisely that. I mean, the fetus was dying in torture because it had nothing to breathe. So they were waiting for the fetus to suffocate, and while it was suffocating, it was infecting—it was infecting the mother's body with all kinds of bacteria. And it finally, uh, you know, first it died, and, and afterwards the mother died. That's—that's that's precisely what happened. So it was a festival of torture. Of the women, of the fetus, and all this happening—you know—those uh, th- people that that support this sort of, uh, you know, incidents and situations and the legal framework for that—they claim they belong to, the, they they defend life and that they belong to what they refer to as civilization of life. Oh, this well, is myself a of life. Of life. and those people who uh, who advocate for, you know, sanity, including in in, in medicine. Uh, are called uh, uh, representatives of the civilization of death. Now, you know, have a look at the case and you will easily see uh, where is life and where is death. OK, so uh, this is an absolutely hair-raising, horrendous, horrific, gut-wrenching case. Uh, and and uh, it definitely has to do with the new legal framework uh, that was created with the resolution of the Constitutional Tribunal last year, which it removed the embryopathological premise from the exemption of the abortion ban that had been enacted in Poland in 1993. So this is what we know so far. We don't know all the medical details, of course, because this is a medical case, so obviously... You know, we like the public is not allowed to, to simply dig into all the details, but things are are, are coming out, uh, and uh, more. Uh, there are other women who have come forward now and reported that they have been submitted to the same kind of torture. Only, luckily, they have survived. Okay, oh, man. And, and and you know, <laughs> this is this is something uh, uh, so. Uh, Sadistic, so immoral, uh, morally impermissible, so uh, uh, retrogate, so uh, nonsensical, and so ideologically driven, okay, because there is an ideological component to it that we should not uh, downplay. This law. Uh, has been modified by the... Uh, oh, first of all, this law has been enacted in 1993 under the huge pressure of the Catholic fundamentalists, and it has been modified under even more pressure from the Catholic fundamentalists in 2020. So this is basically the result of Catholic fundamentalism uh, solidifying its position in the Polish culture, in the Polish society, and more, m- most of all, in the Polish politics, where it has or should have no place.
0: Yeah, this is um, uh, horrific. It was uh, the way you describe it, I would just imagine what this poor woman went through. And to be in the 21st century and to witness something like this um, it's very difficult to find one causes. There are many causes. Why was it possible that a group of men, because their imaginary friend that they call god were were they given permission to make the state function according to their own delusions this This is unbelievable because there are a small group of men. While, you know, a a small percentage of men from the Polish society that managed to basically dominate the state institutions and to make them function according to their delusions, because it is delusional to associate the life of a fetus with a heartbeat and... This, no This Once you start believing that, you can believe anything. I think Dostoevsky said the most stupid thing when he said that if God doesn't exist, then anything is possible. No, it is only when you start believing in this imaginary friend and you uh, place more emphasis on what this imaginary friend says that on real People, flesh and blood, before you, it is only then that anything is possible. Don't you think so?
1: Well, I. Uh, it's very difficult for me to uh, have a nuanced discussion on what would things be like for uh, myself, for example, if God had been part of my life, because I come from an atheistic family and I have never had any kind of, uh, you know, uh, 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 any kind of contact uh, that would. Uh, you know, make me even think or ask questions of that nature. Uh, but one thing I'm, I'm sure is that uh, Catholic fundamentalism has been part of the Polish culture since the uh, inception of the modern Polish state in 1918, and that the clergy had has always had a very uh, strong grip over uh, the popular culture and uh, uh, things were different in Romania and in Poland during the uh, period between 19, uh, 1944 and 1989. Uh, but in Poland, like in many other uh, socialist countries, uh, things for women have gotten much better, uh, f- uh, including you know the question of abortion uh, and, and, and access to contraception and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, then, uh, and this is the answer to the question, why do you think this small group of men has actually managed to, you know, control the culture and control the political process and legislation to that extent? Now, in 1989, or towards the uh, the end of ni- uh, the 80s, when it, it became clear that the Soviet Union is about to uh, either withdraw from the countries of the Warsaw Pact or maybe even, uh, uh, you know, undergo some kind of dissolution, uh, which eventually did happen, that, you know, the new... Uh, emerging class, uh, political class, required some kind of ideology to back itself up. And they had no ideology because, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in Eastern Europe...
0: It, it was, was this the- ideological void that the, basically the church... Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, but that's that's kind of simplistic what I'm saying and the way I explain it. But we don't have time to go into all the historic uh, new uh, historical nuances. But uh, in general, yes, this is pretty much uh, like they, they needed some kind of ideology, and you know, the fact the the, the the liking of the West was not enough. I mean, they needed some something to something operational on the ground which would regulate the, the developments of culture, the developments of, of uh, you know the the, the well. The conditions in general for how the society is going to grow, right? And the church, they did want to have a say in this so they started a hysterical campaign back in 1987, I think, or 88, against abortions which in the past, like before 1989 used to be free and accessible by anyone, right? And no one asked any questions until I think it was the 12th uh, yeah, the 12th, I think uh, week of pregnancy, you were just, you know, free to go to any doctor and ask for abortion, I was Okay. So they started this hysterical campaign, and and you know the for the new newly formed ruling class that was a very convenient thing. Okay, they just invited the church to be part of it, and uh, it was also very convenient from the point of view of their uh, zoological anti-communism because. You know, the church was allegedly so repressed under communism. I don't know how it survived. I mean, with all those repressions that I've heard so far, and now it's so strong. So, yeah, but anyway. Uh, so, uh, so the church had a lot of. Uh, the church was very important uh, since since the beginning, and it's under the influence of the church when they wanted to sort of uh, recognize its importance. This is why they enacted partially, of course. Okay, I'm simplifying again. Uh, but just for the sake of discussion, in 1993, they wanted to acknowledge the, the leading role of the church by enacting this abortion by signing the Concordat. Concordat is, is the special kind of uh, uh, special agreement regulating diplomacy between the uh, between Vatican and Poland. OK, so we have a special, special <laughs> uh, agreement here. Lucky. Uh, yeah yeah right so uh, uh, so this is where things started it, and it, it of course produced a huge clash in the society okay because the society was used to some you know much more liberal standards uh, you know I, 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 I realize it sounds paradoxically but it really is this, so the, the cultural standards were much more liberal under uh, the Polish People's Republic than they were later and or that they are now okay and uh, it's uh it, it, it it's the it's the growth of the church and and the ongoing cultural war sparked by the church, not by the people. The people were just defending themselves, okay. And the, and and the the factor that insisted on having this cultural war was, was exactly the Catholic Church in Poland. And now with this Catholic uh, fundamentalist in power, uh, who were supported and helped by the Catholic Church prior to uh, the sixth you know, the last six elections that they won, they had to finally, you know, pay back, okay? And this is the way they are paying back. And, of course, the price you pay is you pay with lives of people, mostly women, of course, uh, because the Catholic uh, Church uh, is very hateful of women. Uh, And uh, also, I want to say... That uh, because you mentioned that in your intervention that there are many many factors and that's true there are many factors it's not only the Catholic Church to blame it's also the Polish uh, medical community the Polish doctors Polish physicians who are and I say that uh, you know I'm totally I, I kind of responsibly I say that responsibly and I say that knowing what I'm saying okay knowingly that they are one of the most demoralized and one of the most misogynistic professional groups in Poland, along with the Polish judges and with the Polish police. So uh, there is here a very important nuance that I would like to discuss uh, about the behavior of those those, uh, doctors
0: yeah well that's really troubling well tell me um do you have because in romania we have this um the college of doctors as it is called and then whenever there is a case a very controversial one they are summoned up to give their statements and to evaluate the case Uh, is this do you have an equivalent and what is the I don't know how do you feel is the reaction of the doctors according to this they just say oh it was just the law they obey the law so this is it
1: yeah well that's first of all we do have something called the chamber of doctors which is part of the legal system in poland i think it certifies the doctors or does things like that i'm not exactly aware of their uh, prerogatives (laughs) but i'm sure they play a big role in this a process of people becoming doctors. It's a corporate body, which basically should be there for setting up standards and so on and so forth. But in fact, what it does, it, it covers up for the failures of their colleagues. This is what it does. And in Poland, it's virtually impossible to uh, take a doctor to court for their mistake. Or, I mean, it's possible to take them to court, but it's impossible to have them uh, actually uh, sentenced. It's just, uh, you know, because of the huge pressure from the side of the uh, of this corporate uh, elite and and there is a lot of corporatism and elitism in doctors i even sometimes like to uh, joke let's say that uh, the polish private the, the polish healthcare system despite the fact that it's public it has been privatized long time ago because the the facilities are are public okay i mean the hospital is public the the, the equipment is public the the funding is public oh, but the patient the patient is always private. The patient belongs to this professor or the patient belongs to that director or the patient belongs to this you know person. So this is, and this is how it goes. And, and this lobby of professors, medical professors, is one of the most demoralized and one of the most misogynistic, has always been one of the most uh, misogynistic uh, kind of informal groups in the Polish society. The Polish doctors hate women actively. They despise them. And you can act, ask any Polish woman About what experiences they have had, uh, you know, uh, having to see a gynecologist, and you can, uh, I don't know, uh, go and see the Polish internet if you if you like, and uh, you can translate for yourself forums or Facebook pages or or you know all kinds of other forums where women are actively looking all the time for a sane gynecologist because sane gynecologists are almost non-existent in Poland. The Polish gynecologists are a, a cased. A demoralized case of people who like to torture women, who like to torment women, who like to harass women, and the last thing they want is to help them. So, uh, this is a very difficult endeavor to you know, find a gynecologist that is gonna be friendly and professional with you. Okay? And, and uh, now, to, to, uh, to discuss this case, this concrete and specific case. Now, what was the reaction of the doctors? Of course, they said, like, this was the law. But, you know, I mean, when you say this was the law, it's like saying those were the orders. It's like you know, since the times of the Nuremberg trials, we know that orders and law are not really the most important thing when you're uh, when people's lives are at stake, right? So that's that's number one. Number two, we're talking about doctors. I mean, we're talking about people who are supposed who are there to save lives, not to obey the law. That's like you know, it, it's it's so cowardice to say, yeah, I killed that woman because I was afraid that afterwards I would I would be, uh, you know, uh, taken to. I would be legally responsible for whatever uh, potential failures, knowing that no doctor has ever been, or oh, maybe some exceptions, but in general, doctors don't get sentenced in Poland for any uh, medical failures, right? So this is, this, is, uh, this is demoralization, this is cowardice, this is misogyny, and this is just a, a moral decay. Now, uh, uh, but, but there was another comment made because uh, the first person, uh, the first medic to be uh, approached by the journalists was the direct was the head of the of the hospital mm-hmm. in Pszczyna. Uh, and his reply was, upon the admission, and I quote, upon the admission of this uh, patient, there were no premises for hysterical actions, hysterical actions. So, like you know, demanding abortion of a. a of, of the fetus that had no chance to survive anyway after the, the, the fetal fluids were lost by the woman is a hysterical demand for him. And it, it would have been a hysterical action to actually uh, perform the abortion. So this this gives you the idea of, of, of the moral construct of the mindset of this, uh, of this group called Polish doctors. But of course, like I am generalizing, I realize that there are exceptions, there are many great doctors, I'm sure about that. Uh, but this is the state of the affairs. So, uh, y- you know, I also want to mention the legal uh, thing here, if you allow me, just uh, like yes, literally yes, two minutes, because I went, uh, uh, you know, I-, I went to see some, uh, uh, some... Legal expertise, and we do have uh, one—I uh, would say—media personality who is uh, who is a professor of law, or, or at least a very known, uh, very well-known uh, legal scholar. Uh, he writes. He runs a, a Facebook page called uh, the Dogmatic. The, the dogmas of the penal code. Like this is a <laughs> the, the, the kind of translation. And, and he, you know, I, I don't know what, what his convictions are. I, I suspect that he's a liberal Democrat or something like that. But it doesn't matter. He's always very strict when it comes to the law. He analyzes every case. And this is what he wrote. Uh, I, I just translated it kind of on the fly. So uh, if there are any mistakes, please pardon me. But he wrote the following. The doctors were hesitant to end a woman's potentially life-threatening pregnancy. The case ended tragically. The woman died of septic shock after doctors waited for the fetus to die. On Saturday, November 6, 2021, many cities, uh, streets were flooded with demonstrations uh, in solidarity with the deceased. Of course, we cannot access this specific situation because we do not know much about it from a medical standpoint. However, we can examine the legislation. Take note that the first premise, and we're talking about the premises that still allow uh, abortion, legal abortion in Poland. The first premise speaks very broadly about a threat to the woman's life or health. A term like this leads to a number of conclusions. Here are the three conclusions, okay? Number one, pregnancy termination is possible and permissible even if the pregnancy does not endanger the mother's life. A threat to one's Health suffices. Number two, the act, that is the law, does not require a woman's health to be harmed. It only refers to a state of danger to one's health. It is not necessary, legally speaking, for the threat to be immediate. This means that there is no need to wait for the woman's health to deteriorate and to be jeopardized before deciding to terminate pregnancy. The abortion rationality is met if medical considerations warrant a finding that the pregnancy's condition poses an actual threat to the woman's health. As with endangered life, it is not necessary to wait for the woman's death to establish a threat to life. The statute describes an earlier stage before that occurs. And number three, and uh, I'm finishing here. The provision, uh, that's part of the law, states that the pregnancy is a threat to the pregnant woman's life or health. So the source of the threat, the pregnancy in this case, is indicated as is the threat to the woman's life or health. The present tense is used, poses a threat, implying that any abnormal uh, medical condition of the woman's body uh, that threatens her while she is still pregnant is referred to. So as you can see, it, it, this is a very broad premise. Without a doubt, the threat of sepsis, okay, and I don't need a medical uh, degree to know that. It's just a matter of general culture and general knowledge. but the, the threat of sepsis is already a threat to woman's health under, uh, under this law. It's called Article 4A11 uh, of the Family Planning Act. So, yeah, I just wanted to add this to the
0: discussion well in the second part of the discussion we are going to discuss this problem of abortion in a broader sense so if you'll allow me i will discuss this because I think while discussing feminism, I was not clear enough why was it necessary to have a second wave of feminism. It is, of course, unfortunate that we rely on accounts that were given in the Western part of the world and we do not have the same narrative power, so to speak, to uh, explain what happened here and why is it that we refer to the second wave of being dominant in the West and so on and so forth. But these are details. Now, the idea is, and I want you and the viewers to understand how difficult it is for women. Think of a prison. Now, the men have to get off the prison, but they do not have to get off the cell. The woman is in the cell usually with the enemy and the cell being her home and she has to escape that and then the prison. You know, so there are two types of challenges that she has to face because it is not enough to change, you know, and to get people free. This is the paradox because you go out of the prison with your abuser and you take the cell with you, unfortunately. So this is a this is the only, you know, um,
1: perhaps you could perhaps could explain you this metaphor it. a little more precisely. I'm not sure I follow with the, the
0: well. The, let yeah. me explain. So, for me, it's very intuitive because you know, when you're in the home, for instance, with a husband that can rape you, you are in your cell. When Bre- Betty Friedan, a fairly well known feminist, a famous one, wrote The Feminist Mystique, it was about that how women are being trapped in the home because they were not given, especially in the United States and Great Britain, they were not given, you know, the same salary because it was thought it was not their job to support the family, but the man's job to support the family. And this is why it created such a a debate uh, around equal pay. So they had to basically escape the walls of their homes who were a prison cell, were a prison cell for them, unfortunately. And even though the conditions in the society may have changed since they were allowed to own property, they were allowed to go and vote, they were trapped in their homes. Do you know that, unfortunately, marital rape was enshrined as a crime into law in 1990? So... Until 1990, it was okay to rape your wife. There was no crime in doing so. So they had to fight this. They had to change, you know, the settings with what I call the cell, you know, because even though you would have changed society. And you have not changed, you know, the power dynamics in the cell with your partner, so to speak. And I'm not referring to this by accident. It is Michel Foucault that says that our society is organized having the model of the prison. And every institution certainly mimics that to a certain degree. And unfortunately, this is why women had to fight for abortion I and mean, in the right to your own body, autonomy. They had to um, fight for uh, rapes, harassment, and all forms of domination and power dynamics affecting them in the private sphere. Because unfortunately, they had to also escape this private set of oppressions, this cell that was their home, usually. They had to change the whole dynamics at home and also at work at the same time. And uh, it was very, very difficult since men realized that if they give them access to contraceptives, if they give them access to abortions, then their control over their bodies will not be that efficient. And um, what is interesting, and I, I strongly recommend that the viewers and you watch the documentary realized produced by Mary Dore in two thousand fourteen. She's beautiful when she's angry, where well, she discusses two important feminists. Because you see, boy, and I'm so angry that these things are not being taught. We as feminists come to know about it, but the broader, you know, the masses, the women in Poland, in Romania, do not know about these things, and not even in the United States. And this is, you know, the trend of feminism because you're starting all over again. So let me explain about these two ones. So Heather Booth and Judy Darkana. Um, It was back in the 60s and they had contraception pills, but they still, um, uh, it was at the beginning. And uh, the idea is that a lot of people needed abortions, of course, mostly women. And (laughs) because they were the ones affected. And um, when somebody called Heather... Uh, she's, she set up this system. She said, "Ask for Jane," and then she got in doctor got in contact with a doctor that was willing to perform abortions. And they said they they were able to organize and to set up a very efficient system in Chicago, where they would rotate houses, they would change everything, and they would train each other. Jane was the name for the person who knew how to make abortions and feminists were these people that basically trained other feminists and other women to perform abortions. And they were able to perform in less than 10 years, until uh, 1973, when they had Roe versus Wade, uh, more than 11,000 abortions in Chicago using this system. So it was a bit of a fight, and it was not the Supreme Court. This is important also for the Polish women and for Romanian women. It was not the Supreme Court that gave women access to abortion, to abortions. It was the feminists and the women organizing and demanding this, and this is very important. First of all, the situation is tragic, and maybe there is a need for change, and. Of course, this sounds like going into the forest to have heart surgery because abortions can be a very dangerous procedure. But when you're faced with something like this, I mean, had I been given the chance, do I go to a hospital and die there or would I go to some feminist performing abortions? I think the... the, Yeah, but I think... So you have to organize, first of all. Women have to organize. And second of all, it is important to make institutions work for you. And uh, it it is vital because 50% of the population is formed by women. They contribute. The the doctors and the salaries of those doctors are paid by by women, by contributors. So they have to work for them and not for the children. God, Jesus. Yeah, I know,
1: I know, but I, I want to I mention something very important here. Sorry for interjecting. If uh, but I will allow you to continue your thought right after uh, I say this, but I feel that it's a very important thing and it should be said right now. You, you're right. Uh, this, is the, this is the systemic problem that we have. Now, what is the systemic problem? Because, you know, people like to get, especially on the left, ideological about capitalism, how capitalism is terrible, how it is bad, how it exploits people, colonialism, all the rest of it, which is true. I totally agree with this. But, you know on a day-to-day basis the thing is that capitalism doesn't work for the people and this is precisely the reason why we pay for it we finance it we form it we work there we get exploited there but we don't control it like you know we do everything but we have no control over it and this is precisely when you say we have to take the institutions over we definitely have to take the institutions over but it's possible only under one premise which is the systemic change and entering a transition uh, into another system because like, you know, what are the ruling classes governed by? They are, to a certain extent, governed by the opposition from the side of the people, that's true, but they are, and, and Poland is a classical case of that, all right? But they are also governed, uh, to a large extent, by their own uh, fantasies, ideological fantasies. And those what? fantasies, they Where get more, right, they get more and more intense when they can not act politically. And in Poland, they cannot act politically, first of all, because they have no idea what to do and how to do it. <laughs> and second thing is that they are found, they have found themselves in a geopolitical trap because right now, you, you know, uh, I don't want to go into that because it's a long story, but generally speaking, the, the the sources, the centers of power in Poland only move when they are instructed from abroad, by and large. Okay, so uh, this, is, this is why they are doing, this is part of the explanation why they are doing it. They are getting this... Uh, Acceler- they are accelerating all the pathological ideological elements because they want to remain in power, and they can only cling to power by claiming that they represent something. They don't represent people much, but they do represent some kind of ideology that is very divisive. That is very divisive, and that brings the show. Okay, it's very spectacular. It's tragic. It's death, and so on and so forth. But do you imagine what kind of discussion are we going? Uh, what kind of debacle are we going to be having now in Poland for the next, I don't know, year or, or so? Sorry, I, So, I just the, yeah, they moment.
0: created this and, and this is so tragic is that they keep people, you know, so emotionally disbalanced in order to, to get a hold of the society and to control. Yeah. This is unfortunately what we can do to fight back this, because this is really enraging. I mean, one of the possibilities it, we have to organize as women, of course, we have to be at the forefront of this and to make sure that this never happens again, because, um, and of course there is a lot of work to do, but it has to do with organizing First of all, we have to organize and to talk to women and to make feminism a mass movement. I think and I see here a huge opportunity for feminism, a huge opportunity that does not have to, to you know, you don't, you don't have to let this pass. And also you as a feminist ally, I would not call you other names. I think you're a feminist ally and I, I think what you're doing is great because we are discussing this, and making people aware, especially in Romania when they say, oh, the communists were horrible because they banned abortion. Hello, it was only Romania and Albania that had such idiotic leaders to ban abortion. Look. It is the wonderful capitalist society of Poland where you witness such tragedies right now, okay? You would have witnessed that in Romania with the DA's office coming. I would discuss Romania uh, in a separate topic, but I would insist on organizing and discussing with women and uh, making them understand that feminism is not an elitist debate on the latest uh, jargon of some scholar in the United States or elsewhere, but it's a matter of life and death. And it's also a matter of power. And I don't know, maybe a fiscal strike, stop paying taxes would be a very interesting thing to do. I mean, we don't pay until you decide to negotiate and to understand that we are the ones supporting you and not the other way around you have to be responsible and to be accountable to the public and to those who actually support you. And also to to, uh, make this clear separation, because we are descending into the, the Middle Ages. What is this? I mean, we have the idea that it is vital for a democracy to have a clear separation between the government, the state, and the church. Because the reason is simple. You can always throw somebody out of your church, but you cannot throw them out of society. Okay? So, what are the, the people that do not believe what you're believing are going to do? Well, so this they could is... just be repressed. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's it's a moment. I don't know what feminists are doing. I think they are organizing and I think that they are doing their their best. But I think it's a moment for feminism to become a mass movement. And, you know, as I told you that Albena Zmanova wrote such an inspiring thing, we have to get out of the house, you know, the cell, the prison cell, as I refer to it, Uh, get out of this capitalist system and uh, drag men with us. I mean, it is also a vital moment and an important moment for women to be at the forefront of the progressive change in the society.
1: Right. Well, look, I don't don't think I want to comment on what feminists should do or shouldn't do because I don't want to come across as this white man who just instructs (laughs) feminists how, how they should behave and what strategies they should adopt. Uh, especially, as I, I, I admit that I'm not very knowledgeable when it comes to feminism. I, I feel, of course, attachment to feminism because I'm, I have been a socialist since the age of 17, and I, uh, you know, the question of the liberation of women is is a very important part of the leftist uh, of the corpus of ideas that we stand for, which is scientific socialism. But uh, I, I don't want to, you know, give any advice and so on and so forth. Well, what I will say is uh, the following. Now is a It's a perfect storm in Poland, uh, not only for feminists, but it's also a perfect storm for uh, a a mass populist left uh, intervention. Because we have a huge crisis uh, that began basically with the striking inflation. Uh, We have another crisis looming with the rising prices of gas. And I'm talking gas, not gasoline, gas which, uh, you know, of course, the Russians are are, <laughs> are accused uh, of speculating with gas. It's a complete uh, BS, uh, because I have investigated this, and it's a mm-hmm. completely EU's self-inflicted wound. By the way, self-inflicted uh, through uh, British experts at the time when the, when mm-hmm. the EU was still in the mm-hmm. EU. But that's a different show. I don't want to talk about it right now. Uh, with uh, the government replying to the first signs of this crisis in the most neoliberal manner you can imagine, like raising, for example, the interest rates and other uh, measures as well, uh, and this huge attack on uh, on women and most basic uh, civic liberties. This is a perfect storm for a populist, mass, uh, massive leftist movement to come forward and to uh, to, to aggressively act and, and struggle for power. But it's not happening. And, you know, we've spoken so many times about it. I don't want to repeat myself. You know, my mouth hurt from, from saying uh, how, how uh, ignorant, inept, and, and how uh, uh, nonsensical the Polish uh, left has been. Uh, and, you know, I say that uh, with a lot of sadness because I have been, and I still am, uh, by the way, uh, to some extent at least, part of the Polish left. And uh, it seems like uh, this is the key element for me. I mean, the political solution is the only solution that can guarantee effects. Otherwise, we can have half-heartedness, which doesn't guarantee anything. And I agree with you that we have to organize. I'm not really convinced that's tax strike is the best uh, way, because boycotts in general never work. It's an anarchistic tendency, which which generally speaking, I, I don't know of any boycotts that have ever worked. And on top of everything, I don't know what it is like in Romania, but in Poland, the taxes are deducted every month from your salary. So it's pretty much no way. Uh, unless the employers uh, agree uh, to, to strike that way. So uh, I, I think that w- what we need is we need a massive confrontation, but in order to have a massive confrontation, we need to have a political standpoint. I mean, this is the beginning of everything. Okay, we don't like abo- uh, the ban on abortions. That's that's clear. We don't like it. A large part of society doesn't like it. But what do we offer? What do we offer? So what, what now the women's strike offers, uh, or it has been offering for the last a year, Pretty much since the uh, events of the of the of the last autumn was, uh, you know, abortion on demand uh, every time, uh, you know, at every moment in time for everyone and so on and so forth, which is a, a postulate I I support, but it's not a postulate that the majority of of the society supports. So you really like before you act and when you form when you formulate a goal, you need to think about political communication, you need to think about a strategy, you need to think about a broader perspective. Because, like I've repeated that so many times, you cannot win a case in Poland, a political case, you cannot win it only on the basis of supporting or banning uh, uh, gay pride parades, supporting or banning abortions, and so on and so forth. You need something more. Yes, yes. And this is, this is something that the left in Poland, and, and I think to some extent, uh, you know, the leftist uh, feminist movement is not able to grasp. You know, the, it, it's just, for example, the, the, the demonstrations that yesterday took place, they were massive, they were great and so on and so forth. But the problem is that as long as the, the beating heart of those protests is moral outrage... We're not getting very far. We need a political standpoint, a political demand around which we are able to organize people and around that could be also attractive for some institutions that could really threaten the real centers of power. And one such institutions, institution are the trade unions. I mean, the trade unions in Poland in particular are the only massive mass organization apart from the Catholic Church, of course, right? And they could help us, but they need, you know, we need to have a point of reference that is going to be Uh, you know, for them serious, like, you know, I I mean, they're not going to organize strike over abortions, but they could organize strike over many other elements, which are also terribly pathological in Poland right now. And abortions and the question of civic liberties and the question of liberation of women could be easily employed there. I mean, what, in the trade unions, you think only men are there? They also have, you know, women. I don't know whether it's 50% or less or more because I've never looked at those statistics, or at least I don't remember them if I did. But you know, this is the way to go. You need a broader perspective and you need an ideology.
0: Yes, I I would say also in feminism is very important to come back because when I was discussing this I was referring to a time where women's liberation not women empowerment was important and maybe you don't see the difference but there is a difference we have to liberate ourselves as an oppressed class who suffers a double oppression both at work and at home and not to emphasize you know We need civil liberties. We need liberation. We need everybody to have access to that. We don't have to look at women and give some of them a way out. Everybody has to come out of this crazy system. And this has to be done also by how do you do this specifically? Well, you go into a factory, you discuss with women, you start unionizing them and you make them aware of the fact that they are exploited both at work and at home and you start building alliances. I think this is very important to make feminism a mass movement.
1: Right, I totally agree with you.
0: Okay, okay, so yeah, maybe we'll see this. I think it's the The first time I'm ending on an optimistic note because I am so angry that um, being pessimistic is a luxury that we can't afford. We have to act. So. yeah
1: or yeah I, I agree despite the fact that we're pessimistic and I am pretty pessimistic about many m- many things, I still feel that it's our moral and humanistic uh, and political and philosophical if you like obligation to stand up to the pathologies that are you know bound to eat up uh, the civilization which uh, is which would be the you know the, the utter disaster.
0: Wow. Well. Stay healthy, keep fighting. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go to patreon.com slash barricade and donate. Become our Patreon. Uh, we are happy to announce that we move beyond 500 subscribers. Subscribe to our channels. Help us out. Help us thread the news around what is happening in our countries and quit Uh, relying on mainstream media to give you the perspective on what's happening in Eastern Europe. So, thanks so much, and I'll see you in our next episode.